Today's scripture reading will be Ephesians 5, 21 through 33. Submitting to one another out of reverence for Christ. Wives, submit to your own husbands as the Lord. For the husband is the head of the wife, even as Christ is the head of the church. His body and his himself its Savior. Now as the church submits to Christ, so also wives should submit in everything to their husbands. Husbands, love your wives just as Christ loved the church and gave himself up for her to make her holy, cleansing her by the washing with water through the word, and to present her to himself as a radiant church without stain or wrinkle or any other blemish, but holy and blameless. In this same way, husbands ought to love their wives as their own bodies. He who loves his wife loves himself. After all, no one ever hated his own body, but he feeds and cares for it just as Christ does the church. For we are members of his body. For this reason, a man shall leave his father and mother and be united with his wife, and the two shall become one flesh. This is a profound mystery, but I'm talking about Christ and the church. However, each one of you also must love his wife as he loves himself, and the wife must respect her husband. Monica. Mm. So that has to be one of the more controversial scriptures in our time. Thanks, Phil. No, it's good. Um, so before our time this morning, I, uh, I wanted to, to get a little physical exercise in. So I want you guys, so if you're married, your spouse is right next to you, I want you to go ahead and warm up your elbow a little bit. And, all right, now I want you to go ahead and start nudging. Nudging, come on. Go ahead, go ahead. I'm all, all right, there, this is participatory. Okay, there you go. All right, good, everybody. Okay, we got all our nudging out. You guys are good now? Okay, so no more nudging. You don't have to worry about that for the rest of the service. So, and an, an important thing to note today is that uh, I don't want singles and teens also to kind of tune out this sermon. It's, this is not going to be a sermon that's solely about marriage. But I, uh, my hope is that this morning is that through the scriptures, and through the Holy Spirit, that uh, we will be able to understand that there's something greater here. There's something hidden in these, these verses that I think the Holy Spirit wants us to understand. And so I want you to go ahead and disarm yourselves of any preconceived notions about marriage, about what submission means, and about the roles that the husband and wife and genders play in relationships, and allow the Word of God to speak over us and to reveal truth about what God has created and designed these relationships for. Would you pray with me? God, I thank you so much for this day. I thank you, Lord, that you have brought us here. Uh, it is not by accident. So, Father, I just, I pray right now, Holy Spirit, that you would, you would fill me. Uh, sometimes it feels so hypocritical to talk about the role of a husband when I know that I fall short. And so, Father, I just pray that it is your word and your truth conveyed today. Uh, Lord, we need you. We need your ability to change. And so, Father, I just pray that in all things that uh, you would be seen as good. As we sang earlier, that you are good and you will never let us down. So help us understand that you've designed relationships for a purpose and there's something wonderful in them. Thank you for this time. In your name, amen. 
So uh, last week, Phil started the uh, healthy relationships part of our healthy living series. And so we did, uh, they kind of set the whole back to the basics thing and we kind of turned it into a cross here. And Phil focused on the two greatest commandments. The first was love the Lord your God with all your heart, soul, mind, and strength. And the second is like it, love your neighbor as yourself. And so we set this up to say that you can't have your horizontal relationships cannot function well without a vertical alignment. You have to keep the vertical aligned with what God has for you, and then the horizontal will come together. And and so I want to give a plug also for next week. Uh, Next week, Phil is going to be talking about the greatest barrier that we face when it comes to healthy relationships and how we can't say that we love God but are in conflict with one another. Uh, So... Uh, so I wanted to give that a plug for next week, but this morning, I really want to focus on the roles of our relationship and what God has designed and intended marriage and relationships to point to. So we're going to look at three main things this morning. The first is I want us to get a heavenly perspective on marriage. You see, perspective will dictate our thoughts And our thoughts will begin to dictate our actions. And then our actions will control the trajectory of our lives. And so the foundation of having a right perspective on marriage is crucial in going forward. Because when we begin to think the way that God has designed us to think in the way that we view marriage and relationships, then that will start changing our thoughts. It will start changing our actions. And then that will start changing the trajectory of our relationships. The second thing I want us to look at is I, I want to look at the roles that God specifically designed for the husband and wife relationship. And the last thing is I want to give you one question. And if you ask this one question every single day, it will significantly change all of your relationships for the better. So let's dive in. As I said earlier, that it's important for us to have this heavenly perspective on marriage and relationships. So we're going to go back. I want you guys to stay on like Ephesians 5. If you have your Bibles, uh, physical Bible, kind of keep your thumb always there in Ephesians 5. You may flip around a little bit, but we're always going to kind of come back to this. So back in Ephesians 5, we're going to skip all the way down to 31 to 32. It says, Therefore, a man shall leave his father and mother... And hold fast to his wife, and the two shall become one flesh. This mystery is profound, but I'm saying that it refers to Christ and the church. What Paul is talking about here is is not a mystery necessarily in marriage. He's referring to the fact that marriage is a symbol. It's it's a symbol, it's a sign of the ultimate marriage. See, the ultimate marriage that he's referring to here is the union of Christ and the church, his body. And just like anything here on earth, if we start to make the sign or the symbol and God thing, an ultimate thing, our life begins to get out of alignment. So we're going to look at some verses, and I promise you, I'm not... I'm not bashing marriage and family relationships in these, but I want this to kind of give us a a grounding perspective on how Jesus responded to the marriage and family questions of his day. 
So the first we're going to look at, and I'm going to set the story up here. So Jesus uh, was constantly badgered, I guess, for lack of a better term, was asked a ton of questions by the Pharisees to try to trick him. And one of the questions that they asked, well, they were making up a story about this lady. And she was married and her husband died. She remarried, her husband died again. And this went on for seven times. So this lady was widowed seven times and then she died. So it sounds like a great life. Um, and so they asked him, though, who would she be married to in heaven if she's been married to these seven different people? And Jesus responded in Matthew twenty-two thirty. He said, for in the resurrection, they will neither marry nor are given in marriage, but are like the angels in heaven. What does that look like? To be honest, I have no clue. I don't know what it's going to be like when I'm in heaven. I don't know if I like see Lainey, I'll be like, hey, how you doing? <laughs> I don't know. I don't know what that means, and I don't know what this looks like, but... When I think about it, I know. When I think about it, if I'm honest, it's easy to get sad. It's easy to get sad to think that that won't be the case. But as believers, I want us to understand that what God has in store for us is far greater than a shadow or a sign. Think of it like a picture. If I've got a picture of Laney, and I'm carrying it around, and I enjoy it. She sends me pictures of Judah and her throughout the day, and I love it. Uh, and so I'll have those, and it'll be a joy for me for sure. But when I go home, I, I don't need to look at that picture anymore. Why? Because I'm with her. I'm face to face. That is so much better. I'm not like, hey, honey. Yeah, good to see you. How are you? Yeah. No, I wouldn't do that. And, and so I want us to understand that something that is a shadow, something that is a sign, is just... It's like a ray of sunshine. It's just a piece of all the things that the sun has in store. But we feel that warmth and we feel the joy of it. But it's just a piece of it. The next two scriptures I want us to look at kind of relate more to family interactions. So this is another time where someone comes up to Jesus and tells him that, hey, you know, stop what you're doing. Your mother and your brothers are looking for you. And in Matthew 12, 48 through 50, but he replied to the man who told him, uh, but he replied to the man who told him, who is my brother and who, or who is my mother and who are my brothers? And then he stretched out his hands towards the disciples and he said, here are my mother and my brothers. For whoever does the will of my father in heaven is my brother and my sister and my mother. John Piper, his quote will be up here. Uh, says, Jesus is turning everything around. Yes, he loved his mother and his brothers, but those are natural and temporary relationships. His focus was on those who he called out for himself. He was calling out a new family where single people in Christ are full-fledged family members on par with all others, bearing fruit for God and becoming mothers and fathers of the eternal kind. In a sense, what John Piper is saying is that the church is the inclusion of everyone. You don't have to be married. You don't have to be single. You, don't, you could be single, you could be widowed, you could be divorced. It doesn't matter. 
The church is all-inclusive. It doesn't matter what race you are. It doesn't matter what socioeconomic status you come from. Christ's church is for everyone. Everyone has the same membership level if they're brothers and sisters in Christ. The last scripture I want to look at, and it's pretty bizarre. I'll just give you a warning ahead of time. It, uh, there's, you know, every once in a while we're teaching, people will be like, amen, that's awesome. You know, and so we'll get like compliments or I guess encouragement, I should say, from the people that we're teaching. And that was common in Jesus' day too. And Pastor Phil and I, we love this. It's great. It really encourages us. But I wouldn't ask you a favor just to not go this far as this lady does. So uh, Luke eleven twenty seven, And as he said these things, so as he was talking to the crowd, a woman in the crowd raised her voice and said to him, Blessed is the womb that bore you and the breasts at which you nursed. Like I said, we love encouragement, but that's, you know. And for those of you, just a side note, for those of you who love the King James Version, just look at that verse in the King James Version. I would just invite you to do that. Very interesting. But Jesus responds. He says, blessed rather are those who hear the word of God and keep it. <laughs> I know. Uh, please, like I said, we do enjoy it. And mom, if you're listening, I'm sorry you're not going to get a shout out. Uh, but I want you guys to know that these verses are here to show that there is families, Marriage and relationships, they're shadows. They're pointing to something greater. Many of you guys know Alan Umbersall. Alan is a great friend of mine. He's not here this morning, so this is awesome. I get to talk about him. Um, We uh, are just brothers in Christ, and our bond has grown so deep. But we are so different. We have nothing in common at all. He is you know, outdoorsy. He's great with numbers, and you know how pastors are with numbers. Uh, he is kills. I mean, he's like the predator when it comes to just like hunting. I mean, like he's got st- and he's he's always trying to get me to eat squirrel, and I don't know why, but that's what he wants me to try. And so this is Alan, and we're so different, but we had this deep bond. We have this deep bond of brotherhood. And so, what I want to encourage us to know is that. The temporal relationships, the things that we have in common on a temporal level can come and go and they can fade. But the church, the ecclesia, as Phil said last week, Pastor Phil said last week, the body of Christ, the gathering of Christ is eternal. It's lasting. It's where we can find significance. I'm not bashing marriage and family. They're wonderful gifts from God. Marriage is a sign of something amazing. And honestly, it's the closest picture that we get to Christ and his relationship with the church. But we need to shift our eyes. We need to shift our eyes to the significant and eternal relationships. We need to, as I say this to myself, I, I don't neglect the needs of my family. I understand that my role as a husband is to be a leader and to be a good spiritual leader, but I need to lead my family in a way that's going to point them to lasting relationships. I need to get them involved in the local church. Paul says this in Colossians 3, 1 through 2. He says, Since you have been raised to new life with Christ, set your sights on the realities of heaven, 
where Christ sits in a place of honor at God's right hand. Think about the things of heaven, not the things of earth. And we say this a lot when we're just encouraging as far as the renewing our mind, is that it's natural that God would want to encourage us to invest in things that last. Store up treasures in heaven where moth and rust cannot destroy and where thieves do not break in and steal. And so I want to encourage you to just look at where you're investing. Are you investing in the lasting relationships? And that is probably going to include your family. That's going to include your children. And I'm, that's awesome. But which direction are you heading in? Are you heading in a direction that is pointing them to the church, to pointing them to the ultimate marriage of Christ and the church? So now that we see that we have the baseline for the heavenly perspective on relationships, uh, and it's something that God created and intended for us to, sh- to reveal his love, I want us to take time to try to understand then what is God's intention with our roles in marriage. What does the Bible say about the role of the husband and the wife? And so I'm going to pick up where we started in the Ephesians 5.21. And Paul is literally in mid-sentence here. He says, submitting to one another out of reverence to Christ. If you underline or highlight anything in your Bible, I want you to go ahead and underline and highlight that right now. And like I said, he was in mid-sentence. So he's pointing back to, I think it's either verse 17 or verse 18, where he's saying, being filled with the Holy Spirit. And then he's going through all these things that you do, sing songs and hymns to one another. And then at the end he says, submitting to one another out of reverence to Christ. Verse 22, wives, submit to your husbands in your own way as to the Lord. For the husband is the head of the wife, even as Christ is the head of the church, his body, and is himself its Savior. Now the church submits to Christ, so also wives should submit to their, in everything to their husbands. Husbands, love your wives as Christ loved the church and gave himself up for her. Like I said earlier, this is, um, this is a challenging verse. This is probably one of the most unpopular verses in the Bible for our time. But I want to make some quick observations for you before we jump to conclusions. First, when you read the scripture... Where is Paul directing these commands specifically? For example, when you see in verse 22, which you can't really tell, but when you see in verse 22, which would be the first, the second line right there, the beginning of the second line, who is Paul talking to? He's talking to the wives, which means, wives, this is your verse. Men, husbands, we got to stay out of that verse. You don't like her messing with your stuff, you don't go messing with her verse. Second thing we see is that the verb submit, so the, when it says wives submit on verse 22, it's actually not, this word submit is actually not there. It's borrowing the word submitting right there at the top at verse 21. And this is kind of a complex way of the Greek language. But what that means is that everything in verse 22 through 25 is rooted in Submitting to one another out of reverence to Christ. So this is a call. This is a specific calling that as we, as a, as a body of Christ, as we are all submitting to one another, these are specific applications. So what does that mean then? This is not a universal concept. This concept of wives submitting to their husbands happens only in the confines of marriage. The concept of husbands being the head applies only in marriage. 
when we take these concepts out of the arena of marriage, it not only becomes unbiblical, it becomes dangerous. The principle by no means doesn't mean that men should never work for a woman or that women should not occupy the highest places of leadership in society. You've seen the warning signs on labels that say, do not try this at home, right? This is a warning sign for the scripture. Only try this at home. Do you know what we also don't see in these verses? We don't see the specific application of submitting to each other. Like the man is always supposed to go to work and the woman is supposed to stay at home and raise the kids. And I think that's intentional. Because your, situa- your family situation is different than mine. Husbands, you submitting to your wives may look different than what it looks like for me. Wives, you submitting to your husbands may look different than what it looks like for my family. And that is intentional. So what does this mean? This means that you're going to have to open up the conversation. You're going to have to start to figure out what this actually looks like in the context and in the season of your own marriage. So I know that the word submission is not a fun word, and it's not something that usually is kind of gut-wrenching, and it's, you know, it's just, there's a lot of aversion to it. And so what I want to do is, is quickly go over five things that submission does not imply from these scriptures. The first thing, it does not imply or mean the inferiority of women. Let's use Christ as an example. In Philippians 2, 5 through 9, it says, Have this mind among you, which is yours in Christ Jesus, who, though he was in the form of God, did not count equality with God a thing to be grasped. But he made himself nothing, taking the form of a servant, being born in the likeness of men. Next slide. And being found in human form, he humbled himself and became obedient to the point of death, even death on a cross. Therefore, God has highly exalted him and bestowed on him the name that is above every name. So Jesus, we can all agree that Jesus is fully God. That's why we're here this morning. But Jesus voluntarily submitted himself to the Father. If Jesus voluntarily submitting to God was not an assault on his dignity, then it's also not an assault on yours, ladies. In fact, it will make you look more like Christ. And what was God's response to what Jesus did there? He exalted him. He exalted him. Second thing you see is that submission does not imply the dominance of the man. What's the man's role that we see in Ephesians 5.25? He's to lay his life down. He should be like Christ and lay his life down for his wife. That doesn't, to me, express a lot of dominance. Three, it does not imply unconditional obedience by women. Ephesians 5.22, wives, submit to your husbands as to the Lord. Does not mean that he is God, but you're submitting to him as a way of serving God. Meaning that if your husband is leading you to sin, you disobey your husband and you obey God. Fourth thing that this does not imply, it does not imply decision-making solely by the man. 
God has uniquely made men and women different for a reason. And that is so they could be complementary and form a more complete picture of who God is. As a husband, I would be a fool if I did not consult my wife's wisdom when it comes to decision making. Because I have to confess something. Laney and I are very different. And we process things very different. I think about, I think one example is our emotions. I am really detached when it comes to like my emotional awareness. And I, my brain's more like waffle. You know, it's like really compartmentalized. You know, nothing really messes up. Everything stays in its own place. Laney is more like spaghetti. And so everything's connected. It all kind of flows. And that's awesome. That's good. Amen. So when we watch sad movies, I am often accused of not having a soul. <laughs> this is a true story. Lainey and I were at this movie, and I won't give the title of the movie away because it will just kind of, it, I don't want to be a spoiler, but it turns really unbelievably sad. And like people are just weeping like in this, in this church. And I start laughing. I don't know why. I just started laughing and Lainey, oh, she gave me this stare. She was like, what is wrong with you? And to this day, I still don't really know. But I honestly, I, I thought about it. I think it's the fact that uh, my brain was beginning to turn into spaghetti. And it was like, no, no, and overcompensated to laughter. And it was like the shaky, uncontrollable stuff. So people behind me probably thought I was weeping. So it ended up being okay. But, and so we're different, but we've been created different for a reason. But let me ask you a question. Which is better? Is it better to be emotionally compartmentalized or emotionally connected? Neither. Neither is better. Both have their benefits and both work well together. The last thing that submission does not imply. It does not imply that man has a power to leverage over his wife. Husbands, like we said, earlier, husbands, you have your own verse. Wives, you have your own verse. You cannot demand obedience to these verses. It's something that's given to you. So I think I've been on this a, long, a little, like, I've stayed on submission for a while because I just wanted to disarm that word. Like I said, it has a lot of ne negative connotations in our society. So looking back on scripture, what can we, what can we glean at least from the role of a husband and wife. And to do this, let's go, we have to go back to Genesis. And so we don't have a lot of time to go through the whole Genesis account. We actually did a sermon series this past year uh, called When Heaven and Earth Collide, and we talk about this. We talk about Genesis chapter 2. But in Ephesians 5.31, Paul says, Therefore, a man shall leave his mother, father and mother, and hold fast to his wife, and the two will become one flesh. Paul is literally quoting Genesis 2.24, when God created Adam and Eve. So these roles, they're not new concepts. God has intentionally set them up and has set up the husband and wife relationship as part of the created order. So I want us to look and see, observe what happened when, the original, when originally Adam and Eve were created and see what we can understand about maybe what the responsibility is of the husband and what the role is of the wife. The first thing that we see that Adam had is Adam was head and he was responsible for his family. We see that he was responsible for provision. Adam had a job before Eve came on the scene. 
He had work to do. Adam was supposed to lead his wife in romance. Genesis 2.24 says that a man shall leave his father and mother and cleave to his wife. The man is the one that is initiating it. The man is leaving and the man is cleaving to his wife. Protection. The two shall become one flesh. Paul says that you can't, you can't love uh, in the same way wives or husbands should love their wives as their own body. He who loves his wife loves himself. So protection. Spiritual. Spiritual leadership. Adam already had a relationship with the Lord before Eve came. Genesis 2.16, God gave Adam the command not to eat the tree. Genesis 18, he created woman. Meaning that the first man was given the privilege but also the responsibility of leading his wife into a relationship with God and explaining her ways to him or his ways to her. Guys, this is vital. If you can, all these things are going to be great, but if you could just step up and lead your family spiritually, and that doesn't mean you know every verse of the Bible, but that means you're just initiating. You're initiating the prayer. You're initiating the conversation. You are deferring to the leadership of the Lord, and you're following Jesus Christ Christ as a servant leader. Quick statistic. They say that... um, that if children start going to a church first and they get saved, that there's a 20, 20 or so percent chance that the whole family will, get to, will know Jesus. If the wife, it's more of like around 50%. If the husband is the first to know Jesus, there is like a 90, 90 to 95% chance that the whole family will come to know Jesus. I don't want to gloss over that. That's huge. The last thing you see and we see this from Ephesians, is that men, we're supposed to lead in self-sacrifice. Guys, if Christ is our model, then we need to imitate Christ as we relate to our wives, which means we're supposed to die to our needs and leverage any power that we have for the benefit of our wives. What do we see in Genesis chapter 2 as it relates to the woman? In verse 18 of Genesis chapter 2, uh, it, says, it says that then the Lord God said, it is not good that man should be alone, which, amen to that. Uh, I will make him a helper, fit for him. So the word helper, it can sometimes feel like kind of diminutive, like really small, where we can say like, oh, thanks, my little helper, you know, like when like Judah comes and picks something up and throws it down. It's like, oh, thank you, you helped me, sort of. And... But this same word is referring to God in Psalms 33, 20, and 75 when it says, God is my help. This means that God is our sufficiency in any area that we're lacking. And to be honest, I'm lacking in a lot of areas. And I'm so thankful that my wife is proficient in those areas. Our differences are a gift. Another thing to note about the account of Genesis is where God took the bone out of Adam. You see, God didn't take the bone out of Adam's head so that she could rule over him. God didn't take the bone out of his foot so he could rule over her. God took the bone out of Adam's side so that they could walk together alongside each other. Wives, you have the unbelievable task of coming alongside and supporting and loving your husbands in amazing ways. I'm going to brag on Lainey for a little bit, but I got the mic, so you can't stop me. She does this so well. 
She encourages me and supports me and honestly speaks vision over me. She speaks of a better man than I am even today. So often, what she says makes me feel like Superman when really I'm honestly a lot more like Clark Kent. So the role of the head and the helper are so vital to each other. And God has intentionally placed these differences in men and women so that they would be complementary and also necessary. If a man and a woman are exactly the same, then eventually one of them becomes unnecessary. But remember that all of this is rooted in Ephesians 5.21, which says, submitting to one another out of reverence to Christ. So husbands, we model Christ by dying to ourselves and leveraging the power that we have for the benefit of our family. Wives, you model Christ by submitting to your husband just as Christ submitted in support and as he is leading your family. Two questions that kind of come up to my mind when I think about this is, first, what if they don't deserve it? What if they don't deserve to be submitted to or, you know, what if they don't deserve to be died for? Honestly, that's going to be the case. We're all sinners. We really don't deserve any of this, but Christ does. Christ deserves it. And that's why it's so important that these scriptures are rooted in 521, which says submit to one another out of reverence to Christ. The other question that I get is what happens if they just never change? And can I encourage you as husbands and wives to just trust, to just trust that when you walk in obedience that God begins to do a work in you and do a work in your spouse. So the first thing we did this morning was set up kind of a baseline. We set up a, a perspective of what marriage and family looks like and that it all points to something greater and that it includes all of us in the body of Christ. No matter what relationship status we have, we are all included in this family. The second thing that we saw was that uh, we looked at the roles of marriage. And I, and I hope that, honestly, that this just opens the discussion. I didn't come with a lot of things to tell you what to do. And so I want you as maybe like a homework assignment. Great, right? Sunday morning homework assignment. But I want you to go home and just start the conversation. You know, what does this look like for us in our season? What does this look like for me to die to myself? What does it look like to submit? And the last thing I want us to look at today, and the band can go ahead and come up, is that I wanted to challenge us as a church. So I know that we were talking about the whole husband and wife relationship, and I know that applies to a lot of us this morning. But there's something greater going on here. And I want to challenge us to begin to live Ephesians 5.21 in our daily lives. That is, so what does submitting to one another out of reverence to Christ actually look like? I mean, I think it could be a pretty complex question and there's a lot of application to it. But I, wanna, I want you to ask one question. Every day, I want you to ask this one question to somebody. And I believe that if we begin to do this, it will change our relationships. It will change our community. This is the question. How can I serve you today? How can I serve you today? Husbands, what would it look like as soon as you got home or as soon as you saw your wife 
and you asked her, honey, how can I serve you today? And mean it. And actually, and actually follow through. Wives, what would it look like after a long day to ask your husband, how can I serve you today? And if he's anything like me, he probably won't say anything or he'd be like, I have no clue. But just knowing that you care means so much. Children, what would it look like if you asked your parents, how can I serve you today? They would probably almost die from shock, and that's okay. So once they come to days later, you got, then you can follow through, so you got a little bit of period of time. Um, employees, what would it look like to go to your boss on Monday morning or one of your coworkers and ask them, how can I serve you today? Bosses, what would it look like to ask your employees, how can I serve you today? This question changes everything. And honestly, it sounds terrifying. And I get that. And it terrifies me even just thinking about it. But I want us to go out on a limb and trust that just like we submit to one another out of reverence to Christ, so Christ submitted himself to God. And God exalted him. So I want us to trust the outcome to the Lord. To know that he is at work in your situation. And when we come with the attitude and humility of Christ, we'll see amazing things take place in your marriage, in your family, in the community, in your boss, at your workplace, in your world. And I know that they're not going to deserve it. Because I know I don't deserve it. But Christ does. And so we best show our love for Christ and how we love and serve others. You will know that they will know that you are my disciples by how you love one another. So I want to challenge you guys. I want to challenge you guys to ask that question this week, every day, and see what happens. Let's pray. God, I thank you so much for this time. And Lord, I am absolutely convicted because I know that I fall short of this on a daily basis. But Father, it says that He began a good work in us will carry it to completion. So Father, I have to trust that You are going to do the work. That You are going to do the changing of the heart. That You're going to do the changing of perspective. And God, I just pray that from this moment forward, we are characterized by our love. We are characterized by our service that our, our marriages are characterized by serving and loving one another, that our homes are characterized by that, by our schools, by our workplace, our community becomes characterized by an overwhelming love and service to one another. Jesus, thank you that you modeled this perfectly. And we can look to you for guidance. We can look to you for help. And we can look to you for strength. And it's in your awesome name that we praise Jesus.